Hi everyone, my name is Mike and you're listening to The Vulnerability Project. My mission is to get men talking. The power of vulnerability is not to be underestimated. When done in the right environment with the right people, talking about what's getting you down and what you're battling can potentially be life-changing. I've experienced the power that vulnerability holds firsthand. My aim is to encourage you to tap into your vulnerability and find that safe space that allows you to feel heard. I believe that vulnerability should be seen as a superpower and not a weakness. I hope you enjoy listening to this and that it inspires you to reach out and share. Let's get the conversation going. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six. Welcome to the Vulnerability Project. Um, yeah, it's been a while since I've recorded. I've decided to go on from weekly from weekly episodes to bi-weekly episodes just because of time. You know, I have a full-time job and um, and all that stuff just to, just to allow myself some more freedom um, and also to get more creative with ideas and get more people on board to, to join me for interviews. But today's episode is going to just be me. I the last episode that I posted was a episode was an interview with Dave Chawner um, about my about eating disorders and his experience with it as a as a man, and um, it kind of got me thinking. A few years ago, I started what I thought was going to be a book <laughs> about my eating disorder. Um, it, I haven't touched it in in ages, um, but I wanted to read a few bits that I had written from it, just to give a little bit more insight into my eating disorder, how it started, and um, and what factors played a role in it. And one of the reasons why I want to do this is because I want to. I think there is a gray line between eat, a gray line, a gray line. <laughs> There is an area of gray between um, eating disorders. You know, there's bulimia and anorexia and binge eating disorders. Those are kind of the three that we hear about and are um, spoken about all the time. But I think a big reason why I it took me so long to acknowledge my eating disorder was because I didn't fit any of those diagnoses diagnoses um yeah i didn't fit any of them uh, and the reason why was because i was eating i never stopped myself from eating i ate three meals a day every day and i wasn't purging either i uh, didn't throw up after meals and mine as you'll hear when i um get into it when i when i get into bits from from the book were it started as an obsession with being healthy <clears throat> and falling victim to the wellness industry and uh, the diet industry. So I just really wanted to speak about that. And and maybe it will, you know, if you think you might be developing a problem, it will open up your eyes to, you know, there's not just one, two, three types of eating disorders. It, there's a, a spectrum. And... Yeah, I, I, I hope that, that you enjoy it. This is not the full uh, 
book, obviously, because I haven't finished it and I probably won't, but, um, or maybe I will. It's just, it's just snippets, uh, bits of it. And yeah, so I also wrote it ages ago. So a lot of, I have changed a lot, um, but it doesn't matter because in those moments, that's exactly what I was dealing with and what I felt. So without further ado, let's get into it. Chocolates, chips, sugar-laden cereals, hot dogs, pizza, the deepest fried chicken from KFC. This was me growing up. I ate whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, without a care in the world. Jelly beans and a nice cold can of Coke after school became an everyday occurrence, followed by nearly two plastic salt bomb sausages wedged between a soft white roll dripping in mayonnaise in the form of a hot dog. I indulged wherever possible and enjoyed every sweet and savoury moment of it. I ate vegetables when given no option, but God forbid I caught a speck of garnish on my McDonald's Big Mac. Fast forward to 2016. I was 23 and the golden arches were a mere memory to me. (laughs) French fries were becoming a mere memory to me too. The word sweet was limited to sweet potato and sweet corn in my vocabulary. Instead of lifting the garnish off my fast food, I was lifting weights in a sweaty gym four times a week without fail. I ate three meals a day consisting of mainly plants, lots of whole grains and lean meats only. Never would a pudding pass my lips, not even my mum's favourite traditional pavlova on Christmas day. Instead of counting jelly beans, I was counting calories and making sure my protein, fats and carbs were all perfectly balanced at every single meal. Do you know what made all of this so easy? The internet. Having all my health and diet data right in front of my fingertips thanks to my fitness pal and the never-ending, ever-growing pool of self-proclaimed health gurus. This all sounds like a positive change in the right direction, right? Becoming more health conscious, caring about what I put into my body, shedding a bit of weight and getting active. Well, that's how it started. What began as a 180-degree shift from one extreme to the other slowly manifested into the unhealthiest, mentally draining, and unknowingly self-abusive behavior of my life. This is the story of an individual that fell victim to the wellness industry and all its digital health know-it-alls, fad diets, and phony facts. As a guy, this has been an especially tough battle as it's not common and, well, in a way frowned upon for men to have disordered eating, or let's call it what it was, an eating disorder. I hope my story will help lift the stigma and turn judgment into awareness. How did this all happen and when did this all begin? This is a question I ask myself and have been asked countless times by friends, family and therapists. I've always had a little bit of a controlling streak to my personality. Not with people or relationships, but with myself. With their way, the, but the way that I want things to be done and the way that I conduct my life. Some may say I have a bit of OCD and maybe I do, but I just like to call it being hyper-organized maybe to the detriment of my own sanity. But I don't really remember when this behavior began to filter into my relationship with food. 
What exactly turned me from a carefree food lover to someone that had written a subconscious book of rules about what and when I ate, which began to control almost every aspect of my life? But what I can remember was when the internet got involved and I took a mild curiosity in healthy eating, dabbling into the odd fad diet for shits and giggles. But that kind of took a whole new level and would fill the pages of my rule book with an ever-growing set of internal instructions that would bind me to a life of constraint and conflict within my own mental mind frame. Now, let's introduce you to my old friend, my digital nutritionist, my fitness pal. For those of you who may have skipped past this guy in your app store, my fitness pal as described on their website, is the fastest and easiest calorie counting app. Correct. That's exactly what it is. Boasting the largest database of nutritional information and calorie content of over 5 million food items. That's pretty impressive and, again, very true. Very rarely I recall ever battling to find a food on this app when I used it. I downloaded it as a joke one evening with a friend of mine who was actually using it to lose weight. I was just curious and thought it would be a fun way to see how much in numbers I was actually putting into my body. How many carbs, fats, protein, calories. Little did I know, this was the crack in the can of worms that would wake the demon of my ongoing eating disorder. Don't get me wrong, my fitness pal, when used by those who actually need it for the purpose of losing weight, is a good app. For those who were able to see it as a guide and not as the holy bible of food, it's actually pretty handy. I know people that have successfully lost weight and started eating healthier because of this little pocket powerhouse. And on the other side of the scale, it is useful for those wanting to bulk up and eat enough to fuel their intense workouts at the gym. But for me, being a naturally anxious and controlling individual, it was the last thing I needed. I was at a healthy weight after losing a few unneeded kilos some years earlier. Maybe I didn't have the healthiest of diets, but I had a pretty healthy relationship with food. But God, did that deteriorate very quickly. Suddenly I became aware, so aware. I was introduced to terms such as macronutrients and micronutrients. Carbohydrates, fats, protein were suddenly not just words on the back of a food label and mathematics was introduced to my mealtimes trying my utmost best to get the perfect ratio between macros that I was told by this app was the answer to all my body goals. The problem is, I was under-eating. Instead of striving to reach my calorie goal for the day, I would get anxious if I got within 1,000 calories of the plus-minus 2,500 calorie limit that I had to reach. So, in essence, I was eating around 1,500 to 1,700 calories a day, And for a fairly active 20-something-year-old guy, that's not nearly enough. And that teamed up with my brewing love-hate relationship and obsession with the gym. It was a recipe for what I can only liken with self-imposed physical harm. Under-eating and over-exercising became a daily routine for me and one that I became proud of. A pivotal mistake aiding in my unhealthy relationship to food was when I started seeing foods as good and bad and I created a subconscious list of foods deemed acceptable to me to eat 
and those that were totally to be avoided at all costs. The good foods, as I'm sure you can guess, consisted of any and every vegetable, lean meats only like chicken and fish, fruit, legumes and whole grains, and whole grain bread only. Nuts on occasion and seeds were for topping salads and snacking on. The bad list had evolved through the years from all carbs when I was doing the whole low-carb fad diet and sweets to just refined carbs like white bread and pasta. However, I became more and more obsessed and that list grew more and more over the years. White bread, white rice, white pasta, pizza, white potatoes, anything deep fried, milk, carbonated beverages, fruit juice, sauces like ketchup, mayonnaise and brown sauce, butter, french fries, jams and chutneys, sugar and honey, sweets, cakes, desserts, red meat, alcohol, cheese, fast food, processed foods like ham, bacon and sausages. This is just a handful of what was on my subconscious list. When I say I would avoid these rules, I really mean it. I did everything in my power to ensure that these little demons would never ever make it past my lips, ever. Looking back now, this fabricated list formed the foundation of my little book of food rules. Some of the items in my non-shopping list above I still don't touch, like fast food for good reason. And learning to allow some of them into my diet and breaking away from the extreme all-or-nothing mentality and introducing moderation has been one of the hardest challenges, but the most important in my ongoing journey with food. And it's something that I do still have to manage and work on today. I think what I'm trying to get at here is that it's really important that we stop labeling food as good and bad. It's difficult when our society has become so diet-obsessed and we see headlines everywhere about good and bad carbs and good and bad fats, that dairy is bad for human digestion and that gluten is the devil inside your breakfast bun. But as soon as we label a food as being bad or good, we begin a cycle of judgment. We begin judging ourselves and others. So, I had the diet down eating all the right foods and demonizing the bad ones. So, what was the obvious next step to reach this perfection that I was looking for? Well, the gym, of course. I never have been sporty. My parents got me to try everything from football to judo, but I could never stick anything out. This doesn't mean I was a lazy couch potato, which, not all the time. I just could never find a sport that I really enjoyed, so obviously locking myself into a 12-month contract with an expensive gym made sense. My parents raised an eyebrow, but encouraged me nonetheless. I was 22, eating well, and going to the gym with my friend four times a week without fail. And I mean, nothing stopped me from going to the gym. Feeling a bit sick? Suck it up, you've got 5Ks to run today. Injured? Well, you can't miss leg day. (laughs) I remember getting a new tattoo and the artist specifically telling me to avoid any physical activity while it healed. But nope, I made sure I was at the gym bright and early the next day doing my deadlifts and push-ups. Looking back, clearly this was not healthy and it was around this time that I started getting a few comments here and there from my friends and family telling me to chill out, take a break, have a pizza. But... I just thought they were all jealous of my impressive discipline and motivation. 
Through all of this, something didn't feel right. Like at school, I still didn't particularly enjoy any of this. On most days, I would dread the idea of going to sweat it out in a smelly gym surrounded by people that I just could not relate to. I spent my hours there looking at the other guys, wishing I could lift as much as they were and feeling so judged and shit about myself. So how did I stick to my rules? My god, I was so creative at ensuring that my strict book of food rules stuck like glue. I was so obsessed with making sure that each day my diet was 100% perfect out of fear that swaying even slightly would result in me losing it entirely and turning into a 150 kilo blob with every food related illness Google could ever muster up. When I was a student, I would spend a lot of time at my best friend's house studying or working on assignments. Obviously, this meant that we had to eat at some stage, right? But wait, <laughs> what if there was no healthy food around and I was forced to eat something on my red list? What if I was sleeping over? That would mean dinner and breakfast was out of my control. So what did I do? I'd bring my own food <laughs> to his house and any other person's house for that matter that I stayed at. Yep, a fully cooked dinner that I would prepare before heading off to his house. I was very honest with his parents and just told them that I don't eat certain foods. And they understood, I think. So that was dinner sorted. What about breakfast? I'd bring my own whole grain bread to be toasted in the morning or my own granola ready to be added to a smoothie. I would usually eat this before anybody else woke up to avoid any further questions as to why I wasn't eating their breakfast. It was nothing personal to them. I mean, what could they do anyway? They couldn't force feed me. And what about eating out? This was always an incredibly anxiety-inducing experience for me. Whenever my friends or family invited me to go out for a meal with them, I would scour the internet for a menu of the restaurant that they chose and I would analyze it with a fine-toothed comb to make sure that there was something I could order. In reality, I could have ordered anything I wanted, but I was so bound to my restrictions that I would instantly write off burgers, pizza, pasta, or anything containing fine carbs, red meat, or too much cheese. If I wasn't able to find anything in the green zone that I could eat, I would do everything possible to convince those I was going out with to go somewhere else. I would even be as clever and diplomatic as possible when doing this, lying and saying I had a bad experience at that place or that my aunt's friend's sister-in-law went there once and got food poisoning, just so that I wouldn't out myself and make them suspicious. Sometimes I'd win, other times not. And when the latter was reality, I would sit in the restaurant whilst all my friends were laughing and enjoying themselves, fixating on what I had to order and how I was going to succeed in eating something within my rules. This made my life and the poor waiter's life very difficult. And I just laughed it off saying, oh, I'm a fussy eater. It was absolute torture looking back. <laughs> this is something I had to work painfully hard at fixing. Quite often, I would just not go out at all and make some excuse like, oh, I'm not feeling well or I have to work late. It was affecting my social life and I knew that it had to change, but I didn't know how to change it. As a man in a society that has preached the dogma of men don't cry, indirectly teaching us to suffer in silence, we aren't encouraged to identify illnesses such as anorexia or bulimia in ourselves, and in fact, 
it took me about four years to really acknowledge that and apply that label to myself and seek help. No man wants to admit that he's got a problem with food in his body, one that has resulted in very concerning and quite frankly disgusting habits like spitting out food and missing social events due to fear of food. I can honestly say that until about the fourth year of struggling, I never once even considered that I may have an eating disorder. In fact, I remember when someone started a rumor that I had anorexia, I was so genuinely horrified and offended by this that I cut off all ties with that person. The thought did not even cross my mind. To me, I was just following a healthy diet and exercising regularly. I felt proud seeing the scale go down, not panic. I was happy. It became my focus. It became my identity. Not once did I consider that I had developed a full-blown eating disorder. A big part of this was that my version of the disease did not fit the diagnosis of anorexia or bulimia, which are the common, most common eating disorders. I didn't deprive myself of food, and I never threw up after meals. At the time, I did not know that my relationship with food and behavior around it was disordered. Thoughts about eating, not eating, calorie and exercise consumed my mind and controlled my life. Yes, but I was still eating. I ate three meals a day and I went to the gym regularly. I was healthy, but I was under eating and I was ruining my body. Thank you very much for sticking around and listening to that. Uh, when I was recording it, it was quite... Hmm, I must say eye-opening. Eye-opening is not the right word. It was quite amazing to see, well, how far I have come with my eating disorder. And the biggest takeaway that I want you to have from this is, please... Guys, girls too, but guys, if you are suffering or you think you might be experiencing disordered eating, seek help. It really is there. Speak to a doctor, speak to a dietitian, speak to your loved ones, speak to a stranger. You know, it, it can get better. And I'm telling you, three years ago, even two years ago, if you were to tell me that I was going to hit a healthy weight and that I was going to get back into exercising and, and having the strength to exercise, I would have laughed at you. I thought this was going to be with me forever. And like I said, I have to manage it. But by reaching out, I have learned and have been given tools that allow me to manage it. And I don't always get it right. I want to emphasize that I have really bad days when I feel really shit about what I've eaten, about how little exercise I've done, about any mistakes I might have made, and I really beat myself up about it. I am my biggest, biggest critic, so I'm not perfect, but I am a hell of a lot better than I was two years ago. Thank you for listening to this episode. It was a really special one for me to record, and Thank you for supporting this podcast. Thank you for your amazing comments and words and messages that I've received. It really, 
I have days when I feel like this is the wrong thing and I'm burying my soul too heavily. But when I get messages like that, it just reminds me that of why I'm doing this. So thank you. If you'd like to find out any more about the Vulnerability Project, you can follow me on Instagram, which is the Vulnerability Project UK, or on Facebook at the Vulnerability Project. I'm also slowly working on building a little website. It's still a work in, in progress, so I'll let you know when it's up. But right now it's not up. <laughs> and yeah, thank you. I hope that you've enjoyed this and that has given you some food for thought. Until next time, guys, keep sharing.